so good to see you guys this morning. It's an emotional thing. It's an emotional thing to see each other after so much time. One of the fundamental needs for people in 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of economic strife, racial tension, political upheaval, decisions about what to do with your kids' schooling, decisions about whether to go to work, right? decisions about whether to go to church. One of our most basic human needs, I think we can all admit, is to be comforted. Right? Just to be comforted. Now, comforted by vain things, that's, that's not really what we need, right? Uh, like comfort foods or entertainment or other so-called creature comforts, which evaporate upon delivery, often leaving us feeling more empty than when we turn to them. No, I'm talking about comfort in a deep and abiding sense that drills its way down into our hearts and addresses our core concerns. We all need to be comforted every now and then, amen? amen. If we can't admit that, how are we ever going to admit our need for God? And the good news, guys, according to Scripture, is that God is in the business of comforting. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. God is in the business of comforting. I know we know this from Holy Scripture, because not only is the Holy Spirit expressly referred to as the Comforter, that's the title that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit, but in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4, God is given the title, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, right? who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. So did you hear that? He blesses us in order that we might be a blessing, right? He comforts us in order that we might comfort others with the comfort with we, which with we ourselves have been comforted by God. And you know, one of the people groups that's most in need of comfort this year, and uh, most easily lost in the shuffle, and most in need of this very direct personal comfort, is the elderly, right? Especially those who have been literally trapped inside of retirement and care facilities for over nine months. Now, the reasons for these extreme measures are well-intentioned. I don't blame these facilities at all. I mean, we're talking about a high-risk population here, right? The danger level is actually very real for them. But that doesn't make the situation any easier for people on the inside, right? separated from society, from family, even sometimes from one another, locked in their rooms for weeks on end. It's easy for them to feel exiled from human society. So I've got to ask you this morning, have you called your grandmother or your grandfather recently? In the Bodo family, we've tried to stay in touch with my 86-year-old grandmother, Eileen, over the last nine months, whether by phone or by letters uh, or um, by FaceTime um, on those rare instances when she can get her tablet to work. Uh, but the whole thing has been super difficult for her and super difficult for us too because we love her and we want so badly to comfort her. Right? 
Recently, my grandmother's facility made the decision to let the residents visit Finley for the first time since the pandemic began. And this was exciting news, but the problem was that most of the members of our family are so exposed, it, it wasn't actually clear who could even be with her, right? And I'm so thankful to the Lord that I had that opportunity. I was able to set aside uh, time uh, uh, to be extra careful, 10 days leading up, taking special precautions. I took a COVID test and passed it before going to see my grandma. And I gotta tell you guys, it was special. It was special, and, and I think my favorite part was just getting a chance to hug her. I just to pull her close, and you could just feel something spiritual, something emotional happening as she just kind of sunk down, and the loneliness and the sadness just sort of began to melt away. It was an emotional thing, even with our masks on. It was a tangible manifestation of comfort. For both of us. Comfort in the midst of a long-standing exile that she never anticipated. Well, there's something similar to that going on in our Old Testament reading today from Isaiah 40. Would you please grab a pew Bible and turn there with me to Isaiah 40. Through the prophet Isaiah, God is speaking a word of tangible comfort to his people who are in the midst of exile, promising that he will pave the road for them to come home to Zion, and that he himself will visit them personally. And I want to point out three words that God has for his people here in verses 1 through 11. The Lord speaks a word of comfort, the Lord speaks a word of repentance, and the Lord speaks about his own glorious presence. He begins with comfort. And this is really the predominant tone throughout the whole passage. So if you look down with me at verse 1, the Lord himself says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Bible scholars agree that this promise of comfort applies to Israel while they were in mourning in Babylonian exile sometime after 586 B.C., even though the prophet Isaiah himself lived generations before that time. And I think it's important for us to have a sense of the historical significance of the Babylonian exile. I mean, this was the single most devastating thing that had happened to the nation of Israel since they began as a people. Their warriors and even many of their women and children were ruthlessly, ruthlessly slaughtered. Their temple was destroyed. And those who remained, uh, most of them were driven out of the promised land that God had given them, forced to live among pagans, and had no notion of whether they would ever return to Zion. No notion, that is, except that old prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, which had already foretold of the exile, already foretold that God, really contrary to all reasonable historical expectations, would one day bring them back home, reestablish the temple, and then he himself would visit them personally. That's what the word of comfort in Isaiah 40 verses 1 and 2 is all about. It is a comfort food, guys. This is the real stuff here, right? It's a promise that God's people will one day be brought back home. 
will make the road back to Jerusalem straight and clear for his people. And even more importantly, God himself provides that same road that he can travel on and bring his glorious presence in the midst of them. Verses 3 through 5 explain it. says, A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. Like I explained to the children... The image here is like shoveling snow on your walkway for a special guest or the ancient practice of preparing the roads um, when a special when special royalty would come and visit the city. You'd get everything right. And the mountain roads back to Jerusalem at this time were in rough shape, right? But the Lord promises to somehow prepare the way, to make straight in the desert a highway for our God so that nothing will obstruct his coming, his advent, back to Jerusalem. That's the most amazing part of this comforting prophecy. Not simply that God promises to bring his people back home, although that's amazing enough. Who would have guessed at that time that the Persians would one day conquer Babylon and then tell the Jews, yeah, you can, you can go back. And actually, we'll help you rebuild the temple. I mean, what other nation in the world has a story like? To be scattered and regathered. And their story continues to be very strange, doesn't it? There's a reason for that sense. But the most amazing part, the most glorious part of the promise is God's promise to visit them personally. Verse 5 says, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. How is this going to be? The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed, and all flesh is going to see it, see the glory of the Lord? How is that, that going to happen? That's the word of comfort, that Emmanuel, God with us, will bring his people back to Jerusalem and will somehow mysteriously dwell in their midst. It's all summarized in the great Advent hymn that we just sang together, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ransom captive Israel. They're in Babylonian captivity that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. But how will this happen? How will these miraculous and historically unexpected events transpire? Something has to happen first. And that brings us to point number two, a word about repentance. Because according to verse two, it was Israel's sins that had led to her exile. And ultimately, their reconciliation with God was going to require repentance. That's the way these words from Isaiah 40 are interpreted in our gospel reading from Mark chapter one. Will you turn there with me? So maybe historically, God's people had been brought back from Babylonian exile. But this promise of God God personally visiting them still seems to be unfulfilled. Here in Mark chapter 1, these very words of Isaiah are used to explain the ministry of John the Baptist. John came to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight his path. Verse 3, and as we read on, we find that his real message is not physical as an actual road repair. It's spiritual, involving deep heart repair. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 4, calling God's people to shovel the snow out of their hearts. 
right, to prepare the way, John says, for he who is mightier than I, verse 7. In other words, the promised visitation of the Lord that was foretold in the, in the prophet Isaiah, it's coming now, guys. It's right around the corner. Prepare the way. Make the road straight in your hearts. Now, for those who struggle with sin, those in here who struggle with sin, mainly all of us, right, this word repentance can, can be kind of a scary word, right? Because this biblical word for repentance, metanoia, which means to change our mind, it means that we're turning from sin, from the easy road of sin, and turning to the narrow path of God, right? And that sounds hard to do, right? But as I've been studying these passages this week, the most striking thing about the message of repentance is that it's consistently considered to be a part of the good news. Right? It's consistently bound up with the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the message of repentance is, quote, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you flip back to Isaiah 40, go ahead. We're traveling in our Bibles back in time. If you flip back to Isaiah 40, we find this phrase, phrase good news, used twice in verse 9. It says, Go up on a high mountain, O Zion. Herald of good news, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Did you hear good news? Twice there. So in both the Old and New Testaments, the message of repentance is somehow mysteriously bound up with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think the more that we understand what repentance is, the more we can see why this is the case. Right? Because to repent, guys, is to return home. And that's good news. Maybe the Lord is saying to some of us this morning, come home. Come home. Repentance is never busy work, right? God's never giving us unnecessarily difficult things to do. Think of the poor, destitute, prodigal son turning back from the pig's food, and it says in Luke 15 that he, he came to himself. Say to your neighbor, he came to himself. Because repentance is also about returning to our true self. He came to himself and he realized... Even the servants in my father's house have more than I have here. And he turned back to the house of his father. Repentance is about returning home. And did the father reject him? No, the father ran out to him. The father embraced him. Right. So repentance is about coming to ourselves. It's about returning home and it's about reconciliation with God. And all of that is exceedingly good news. Now, someone might ask, well, if repentance is good news, then why do we always fall back into sin? Because it's the easier way. You guys know that. It's much harder to swim against the current. It's much easier to open a bag of Doritos than to be nourished by the home-cooked meal. But if you want to know true life, rather than just kind of salty nothingness or distraction... Or persistent mind-numbing or substance abuse. We need to take the narrow road. That's 
that's the way of life. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. Not to put unnecessarily difficult things on our shoulders, guys. He called us back home. He called us to our true self. He said, anyone who tries to keep their life will lose it. But anyone who loses their life for my sake will what? Truly find it. Truly find their lives. Repent and truly find your lives. About, eight, about 10 years ago, I was in my late 20s, and I had a chance to spend some time with a good friend from my childhood, and he was in a really rough spot. Lifestyle of drinking and partying, and even regularly getting into brawls, and it left him in a sad state with very few friends. And one of the sad things is, is that this is the guy that I actually originally started going to church with. And I remember I felt moved to ask him this question while we were hanging out. I said, um, hey, brother, what would you say the best years of your life so far have been? Like, what would you say was when you felt like the most like the real you? And he said, without hesitating, he referenced back to that time. Back to that time when we were going to church. Back to that time when he was trying to follow Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting, saints? Right? Because he was going the easy way because he thought this is going to be better, right? I'm going to be able to say yes to all my, my desires. I'm going to be able to find out what I truly want, what I truly need, right? But he just came out like an addict, feeling emptier and emptier and emptier each time. Now, how about you? You might feel like an exile in the midst of the pandemic. An exile from close relationships, from a sense of normalcy, even an exile from your true self. Maybe you feel alienated from people who you used to trust. One of the things that I've been noticing in the midst of the pandemic, that in absence of seeing each other in person, the devil likes to fill in blanks, right? And he likes to fill in blanks about one another with lies or with half-truths because he's trying to steal these relationships away from us, guys. Or perhaps you've been depressed and spent many days just sleeping the days away. Perhaps you picked up addictions that have further, further alienated you from yourself. And the Lord wants to pose this question to your heart this morning. Don't you want to come home to me? Don't you want me to come home to you? And in this way, isn't it true to say that repentance is part of the good news? In Isaiah 40, verse 9, the image is of a herald who is shouting out the good news, the gospel of the coming king to all those who've been waiting for his return. Well, I want to shout out the good news to your hearts this morning that Jesus says in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 1, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news, prepare the way, repair the roads, shovel the walkway to your heart, let the king of glory come in, amen? amen. And who is this king of glory? It's the most mysterious and wonderful part of the gospel. And oh, the king of glory is a baby! <laughs> the king of glory is a baby! <laughs> the king of glory is a poor Hebrew peasant! Because after the road is cleared, right after the valley is lifted up and the pride of man is laid low, after the rough places are made plain, after the stage is set and the spotlight shining, who walks out on the stage? Not Linus. Who is it that 
that treads upon the path that John the Baptist prepared? Who is the one of which the herald says in verse, 20, verse 10, Behold our God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the incarnate word made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 11 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. That sounds like Jesus. Who shows up on the scene and says, I am the good shepherd. We started this morning by saying that Isaiah speaks a word of comfort, a word of repentance, and a word about his own glorious presence. Well, brothers and sisters, this is what Advent is all about. It's about his coming, and it's about his comfort that we're all longing for, that we're all yearning for. It's even better than a hug from Grandma. The Lord will gather us in his arms, he says. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. The Lord will carry us in his bosom. I didn't say that the Bible says that. And at his second coming, the Lord will wipe away every tear from our eyes. I didn't say that. The word of God says that. And in that embrace, all our sadness and loneliness and suffering and strife will melt away. And be no more. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, shall comfort thee, O Israel. Amen.